Hi friends, welcome to Why We Care. I'm your host Tiffen and I started this podcast because I realized that most people know how to reduce their carbon footprints, but few know how to directly help protect nature and biodiversity. So together we'll explore our relationship with the natural world and learn how we can take better care of Mother Earth in our everyday lives. In this week's episode, I'm chatting with Dr. Amanda Parks, the Chief Innovation Officer at material science company Pengaya and a materials engineering lecturer at Harvard. Amanda is really difficult to introduce in a few sentences as she has experience across such a wide range of sectors from computer science, mechanical engineering and biotech all the way to fashion and material innovation. I met her when I was working on the impact team at Pengaya and one of my favorite memories from that time was the science sessions she would run on Friday afternoons to introduce us to all the amazing science behind the material innovations we were working with. I have to admit that growing up I did have a bit of a love-hate relationship with science and Amanda was one of the people who made me rediscover and love that space. So we spoke about how we can rethink our approach to waste and how by looking at places of abundance in nature we can find quote-unquote new materials to work with through a process she refers to as high-tech naturalism. An example of this is flower down, an alternative to animal and synthetic down made using waste wildflowers. She also explained how microplastics are shed when we wash some synthetic materials and how these end up polluting our rivers, lakes and oceans and also um, mentioned what you can do to avoid this. These are just a few of the things we covered but obviously there's a lot more Um, so I hope you'll enjoy the conversation. Please share this episode around you if you did and also don't forget to follow at Why We Care Podcast on Instagram. Thank you so much for caring and sending you lots of love. Hi, Amanda. Thank you so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Hi, Jufane. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to see you, hear you. (laughs) Yeah, likewise. Um, So could you start by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, so so, um, my name is Dr. Amanda Parks. I'm the Chief Innovation Officer at Pangaea, which is a material science brand that uh, manifests as a fashion company. Um, I, my, I run our scientific strategies. So looking at our kind of, uh, long-term and somewhat short-term R and D for our scientific innovation. And my background is, uh, my PhD is in material science, computer science. And before that I, um, did mechanical engineering and I've worked across the art world, um, museum design, um, biotech, uh, regular kinds of tech, wearable tech, and kind of came into fashion sort of through the back door from, from <laughs> kinds of engineering and science. <laughs> okay, amazing. Thank you for that intro. Um, and I think that kind of <laughs> uh, goes to show how kind of wide um, your background is. And actually, when I was uh, drafting the questions for the episode, <laughs> it took me a while to narrow it down because I was like, there's so much we could go into. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of um, stories. Yeah, yeah exactly. But so one of the first things that I wanted to ask, um, I, I think, as you know, the podcast is uh, mainly focusing on our relationship with nature and kind of uh, biodiversity loss and all of that. And so one thing I wanted to ask is how is the fashion industry impacting nature and contributing to biodiversity loss? And if you could give a few examples. Sure. And I think just I maybe want to back up and not just discuss the fashion industry, but just for my own personal story. The reason I ended up looking much more at sustainable materials came from when you're in engineering school and doing science, you're not, there's not a lot of emphasis. And especially, I mean, going back 20 years, 
um, on understanding the impact of the materials that you're designing with. And um, of course, you need to understand all the physics and the mechanics and all those really important things to be able to build things. But at a certain point, I was getting a little tortured by, for example, we were building printed circuit boards to make robotics and the amount of e-waste that we were producing. And then, you know, and you start to think about well, how do how do you take this apart? What are, what are all these materials in here? And and that's kind of a, a sign of the times, or it has been for, you know, the last kind of hundred years from the industrial revolution of not reflecting too much back. It's sort of thinking about progress and technology that's separate from how we live with nature. And really only in this century and in the last, you know, 10, 15 years have we been digging deep into the global impacts of these materials. And I think that to me, it was really um both both at the same time disturbing, but also an opportunity for, well, why can't we make products and materials that work in conjunction with nature? So all the things we've learned from, you know, synthetic biology, for example, and biomimicry, and use the highest levels of science and tech to do to do things better and to still be able to advance materials. So it's not, you know, there's the stereotype of, oh, here's something high tech and space age, and then here's like hemp burlap. Right. And that's sustainable. And that is just not the way that we need to be thinking about the future of textiles. Um, so in terms of biodiversity, um, I think across um, everything that we grow, build and make, um, the biodiversity loss comes from, I mean, specifically inside fashion. So when we think about farming, for example, like cotton, um, there's nothing inherently wrong with cotton. It's an amazing fiber, an amazing plant. But we've over-industrialized it and monocropped it, used incredible amounts of pesticides. And th this is a kind of losing battle because the more uh, pesticides uh, you, that interfere with the soil, the less the long-term productivity you have. And then you have to take over more land, which is, you know, taking up uh, the space for, um, you know, where we have the biodiversity of, of living systems. So... That's just one example. Um, another example is, of course, in the realm of the ocean, which is so scary because we barely understand what we're doing there in terms of damage. So, for example, microplastics um, from from, you know, polyesters, from all kinds of synthetics running off into our ocean and, and interfering with the ecosystems of, of what, you know, what just getting into literally the systems of all the wildlife there and killing off. I mean, literally killing off things that we don't we haven't even discovered yet. <laughs> Right. That's that's the crazy part about the ocean. So um, two examples there that are, you know, I think quite, quite obvious. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing that. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I liked how actually you like zoomed out a little bit and you're right that actually. Um, and I think that's almost the missing link is like we tend to think about fashion as the clothes we wear and the accessories we wear and everything. But actually, you know, taking a step back almost and thinking about the materials um, and that's the angle you're approaching it with, right? And I think that's, um, well, yeah, the starting point of uh, why fashion has such a big impact on nature. Um, so yeah, I think that was super helpful. Thank you. And I feel like <laughs> so much to, to unpack and to um, uncover there. Um, and something um, actually you said that I find really interesting is the idea of looking at the processes of nature and thinking about how we can augment them, which uh, you refer to, and, and I think it's a term you coined as well, um, as high-tech naturalism. So could you tell us more about this concept and give a few, a few examples of uh, what it means? Yeah, and that's um, exactly right. It's a, it's a term I coined to 
for the material philosophy, which we kind of live with it at Pangaea, and I think generally as a way to switch perspectives of um, of how we engineer and use science and technology in the world. So, like I mentioned, this idea that um, inside of engineering, there, there's been kind of these two separate tracks that is like, okay, one is about progress and how do we get to the next big breakthrough innovation in terms of functionality. And then there's another kind of smaller track on, oh, we should be thinking about things that have less on the earth. And I think that having those two things come together where, you know, high-tech naturalism is this idea that we can look at places where there's an abundance in nature. So weeds or, you know, potentially even places like, oh, we've, we've, we've artificially, arbitrarily made a lot of carbon. Well, now we should figure out something to do with that carbon that's actually useful to put things back in rebalance. So, so these places of abundance in our system and then use breakthrough science and technology, like sustainable processes, there's green chemistry, all new kinds of manufacturing, right? Um, everything that's kind of breakthrough um, to actually augment the functionality of that. So one good example from our Pangaea portfolio is um, flower down, which mm -hmm. is utilizes waste wildflowers um, that are picked as weeds. It's a very particular part of a plant. And then that's mixed with biopolymer and cellulosic aerogel, which is a really advanced material. Um, but the whole profile, all, all of those materials are compostable. So it has an end of life profile that it can be... Um, it can be composted. And that's both saves us from using, um, you know, animal down, which is there's a whole outside of the ethical part of using animals, also just the industrialized part of, of, of growing, um, growing any, any form of animals is has a higher level impact than a plant does when we utilize it. Um, and also there's no petroleum or synthetics because a lot of things that are called vegan on the market are actually plastic based, which is one of my pet peeves. Because um, mm -hmm. I think that, you know, you pointed out everything comes from somewhere, right? And so when people say, oh, well, this uses no animal parts or they talk about the farming, very very, very rarely does anybody say, think about, oh, well, the alternative is that that material was actually dug up um, off the, you know, off of an oil rig at the bottom of an ocean. There is an invasion. And so, so the impact is potentially two or three levels removed and especially removed from consciousness. But the idea of drilling up all of this fossil carbon is, you know, just as damaging as like anything about um, you know, how we raise animals. So it's 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 a longer term, a longer conversation that needs differently defined boundaries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I love that, and I think it makes so much sense. And I love what you said about as well about um, looking at places of aban abundance. I think that's a really beautiful way of saying it, um, and kind of seeing <laughs> almost like seeing a solution yeah. rather than a problem, right? Because it's all. Yeah, we have to, and so. yeah, I, I sort of tell a story like, say you're a Martian, like you're an alien and you just landed on Earth and you said, well, what is there a lot of here? And you're like, oh, mm -hmm. there's a lot of carbon. <laughs> so that must be an easy thing to work with, right? As opposed to, you know, just thinking about, it's really about just rebalancing the natural systems and like, and it is, so it's part, it also has to be constantly evaluated, right? We could get to a place and this is, this would be maybe a great problem to have. I don't know, but we're, we're like overusing the carbon and we, <laughs> so, so, so the, it's, it's just, it's really about this kind of constant feedback loop of how are we keeping our kind of human not existence, you know, in balance with natural systems. We have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. yeah uh -huh. <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah I think when you say it like that it sounds so <laughs> so simple I mean, not that it's simple but it sounds so simple and like, like the obvious thing uh we should be doing so I love that and I think it also brings a lot of hope because uh yeah it's, it's kind of a positive way of looking at things and uh yeah finding solutions love it <laughs> great um and so something else I wanted to ask uh which maybe you've answered on um you've answered a little bit already but what are you working on at the moment? And I realize that it might be quite big, but um, if there's anything else um, that you find really exciting or uh, want to share. Yeah, so I'll kind of, you know, combine this with this idea of like, what are the most exciting innovations? Because I mean, what we're yeah. trying to do at Pangai is is to work on all the different um, methodologies and areas that affect the fashion industry and really the larger material industry. So um, the the idea is really about some of doing some of our own early stage long-term research, also huge, huge amounts of collaboration, partnering with academic labs, research labs, and also startups and, and filling what, you know, we call the valley of death. When you have a breakthrough innovation, there's a lot of interest and money at the beginning. And then something that's kind of what we think of as technology level 789 towards the end, that's, you know, already kind of in commercialization, this in-between space where you have to work through all of the kinks and, and issues of, of manufacturing and scale up. And it, it's, it's, it's a messy place. And this is mm -hmm. where I think we have a lot of, um, of contribution to make and a lot of expertise and to be the brand that kind of get, gets things out there um, into the, into the commercial space. So about sharing the risk really about for these innovations and also sharing the reward, of course. Um, so I'm excited personally about this model, like just, you know, from, from a kind of stepping out point of view is like, how do we really, I've watched been inside of academia and you know I, the solutions are there right and then you know you you're inside of like you watch kind of big fashion companies not really being able to meet them halfway and so you know I'm excited to to figure out really that that gap in the mm -hmm. valley and fill that um and then from a kind of you know um idea and content point of view um, you know, very excited about how we can sh think about, you know, things like regenerative agriculture, how that is shifting. I'm excited about carbon utilization models and all that, all the things in that space. I'm very excited about like waste and side streaming, what we, what was in kind of titled side streaming. So how do you look at, you know, well, in a simple way, you know, we grow, bananas for food but then there's a whole area you know chunk of the plant that's cut off not not from cutting down the tree but that's literally cut off and is the sideways that has a, a great fiber you know utilizing that in agricultural way so it actually gives you double the benefit of from the growth of whatever plant so it's like a double impact strategy there that's really exciting and how do you trace value chains across the planet so there's a lot of also digital infrastructure there to say it's like rethinking waste and value Right. So something if something if you actually, you know, chop off something that would normally be thrown away or burn, but instead you categorize it and save it and put a little more extra effort into that part of it, how does it become then a secondary resource? So those are kind of broader, broader, <laughs> broader ideas. But I think mm -hmm. there's a lot to be learned from how the, you know, everything that we're doing with the kind of, you know, digital revolution and also synthetic biology. I have to leave, you know, I, I do love biofabrication is really a place where that I just, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it feels so unbelievable in terms of the breakthroughs that we can make. But um, but just thinking about uh, literally the management of of the systems is um is exciting to me. 
Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, that sounds amazing. Uh, could you expand on uh, biofabrication? Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, I just throw <laughs> that in there. Like, yeah, yeah but, no, no worries, but I think that, no, yeah. But so, so biofabrication is um, this idea, so coming from synthetic biology, which was, is really kind of a breakthrough within the last 20, 20 years or so in biology, which is, you know, that we've been able to uncode the human genome. We understand how DNA works, or well, the entire global global systems of, of DNA. And we can start to utilize those tools, not abuse them, let's be clear. Um, we can start to literally change, um, optimize, um, you know, what we can grow. So for example, um, you know, we work with a company called Colorifics, and you can identify colors that are naturally occurring in the world. So maybe it's in a bacteria or in a lichen. And you can take the, you can analyze the organism and take that part of the DNA and put it into a yeast cell and literally grow it in the lab just to produce the color. So instead of saying, you know, if you're growing a field of flowers and there's a tiny amount of red in the leaves, mm. the, the actual amount of color you can get from that, all of the resources that go into that entire field and the whole production, you can really, really pinpoint, oh, we just want the color of this, right? And we're just going to grow the color and then live dye. And so there's so many ways that we can, that we can start to really um, utilize the mechanisms of biology in very directed ways that are also in tune with natural systems. So that's biofabrication and it can, we can use it in all sorts of interesting ways to grow alternatives to leather. You know, we, we can, we can grow um, alternatives to a lot of things and also smells. I mean, <laughs> there's, wow. there's, it's kind of, it's kind of infinite. It's, it is scary. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> just to point out, it is the same technology as what we call GMO. Right. But it, it, there's, you know, like with anything scientific, there are good and bad ways to, to put a scientific um, technology into utilization. And a lot of what has happened with GMO has been around the bad, the, the, all the bad parts of it have been around kind of ownership and things that appear unsafe and it's not inherently so. So that's a whole other podcast, but mm -hmm. I just want to say that it's really the promise of biology and what we can do with DNA. And there's very responsible scientists working on this, um, this area of, of design. And it's not dangerous in the mm -hmm. way that people might consider GMO. Okay. Yeah. I think that that's super interesting. And it kind of, um, I feel like a common kind of uh, theme that has been coming uh, out of the many conversations I've been having for this podcast is always somehow, whatever the angle, there's always this, this idea um, of going back or like trying to find a more balanced uh, relationship with nature and like living more in harmony. And I yeah. think that's so interesting because what you're saying, um, I hear <laughs> exactly that. How could how can we be uh, more harmonious? And also what I find really exciting and interesting is how can we use something that is already here and you know is not going anywhere which in this case is um the fashion industry and we know it has this huge massive um impact and how can we utilize that and uh, use that to almost um accelerate and kind of bring other um solutions and, and kind of tackle these problems through um yeah. almost the platform that is uh th this industry right yeah and i i also think you know i want to say that like you know i'm working uh, on, with Pangaea in a very particular angle of material science, but I'm a huge supporter of 
these all of these different modalities have changed within the fashion industry. So I love mm -hmm. kind of taking on the social and experiential la language where, you know, we need to redefine the industry that it isn't just about consumption. The future of the industry isn't just about consumption because fashion is a gorgeous art form that we, you know, when people ask me, like, how can you if you if you're really about sustainability, why are you making another brand? Right. And it's one thing to say, well, we're going to change the materials. We do still have to get dressed and make clothing. But the other angle is one of the things that I love about fashion and always have since, you know, being a little kid is how it's a means of personal expression and you use it to create an identity. And, you know, it's like a kind of unspoken language and kind of art of the people. And there's so many beautiful things about it that we want to preserve and preserve the diversity of it. Like, we don't, we don't want to say, okay, we have to go back to a age where everybody owns two outfits and you have a uniform. Like, I don't, I don't think I, I want us to be able to celebrate the human spirit and what we're doing with the creativity of it. So different models like rental, thrifting, you know, loans, like all of those different ways that we can actually connect as people and through means of expression that both kind of that digital technologies enable us to do right? That like, those are fun, like genuinely fun. I've been a huge rent the runway fan for almost 10 years now. I'm like literally an OG subscriber <laughs> and I make it work in, in really fun ways. And it satisfies this, oh, I want a new outfit for a thing or whatever. Right. And, and knowing that, you know, that clothes also have stories that are attached to them. So, you know, I'm using my tools as a scientist to think about we definitely are going to need new textiles and it's it's fine to think you know if something returns to the earth is biodegradable we we can exist in a in a culture that does make things um but we're huge supporters of all of the changes right across across the industry and i think you know i think i think of all of this very related to the fashion industry but it it spans all disciplines you know think about the you know everything about sharing right the, the economy of sharing so um, that's um, that's a huge thing that the internet and the kind of the information made it, age has made possible for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And I was going to say, I <laughs> follow you on Instagram and I always love when you do those little uh, rented outfits whenever <laughs> you have an event or something. I, think that's I know, awesome. I, I haven't done one in a while, but yeah, no, uh -huh. it, people are always asking me like, ah, how do you pack for being on stage and this and that? And it, yeah, mm -hmm. so um, it, it is <laughs> it's fun it's like my own little game to yeah mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> I love that and that's actually a really nice segue into my next question which is um what are three things listeners can start doing today to help address fashion's impact on nature because um I know that the sustainable fashion space can be so overwhelming to navigate as you know as well because there's just so much happening and also a lot of uh, greenwashing and everything. So do you have any practical tips or places to recommend for people who want to start improving their fashion choices? Yeah. And the first thing I want to say is like to not feel guilty. Like it's not, you know, we definitely want to be aware consumers. And I think if someone's listening to this podcast, they are, but it shouldn't be all on the consumer. And there's a lot of industry history across advertising and just a lot of different industries that oh, let's blame the consumer for the problem that we're creating as the back end as the companies mm -hmm. brands and whatever right so um so let's let's start from that and i do it's it's a dual responsibility where the industry is obligated to make better options more sustainable options and to also make the information available about what is going on so those two things are on the responsibility and i guess the first thing you can do is to you know use your purchasing dollar to put you know to, to put the put that value system in place 
um, to to buy the things for the brands that are you think doing better work and also being transparent about it. Um, and I know that's not always easy to tell, but I think that that's sort of the piece that is, you know, we try to be very clear on our communication and the more confusing someone is, the less you should trust them as a model, <laughs> right? Or if it seems, yeah. you know, this seems to be, you know, like, you know, you don't have to be uh, overly cynical. I think there is, we get, you know, massive comments of that the cynicism is deep with the greenwashing. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure we're, we're trying to address it and be very, very clear, but um, we, we, I understand like there, it's hard to, hard to get out there and understand, but, you know, um, and then I think generally, yeah, employing all the different models, like buy vintage and used when you can don't, don't, don't buy. I think so you can start by like, really just stop buying fast fashion and try to buy less synthetics. I mean, those would be my. I think those are the two that are in my category. Just look at the label, and if you, you know, there are reasons why we still, you know, for exercise clothes, you know, we with spandex, like we're not going backwards to not be able to have stretch in our clothing, and we don't have the perfect solution for that yet. But if it's like a random, you know, five dollar polyester shirt, do you need that? Let's not have those. We don't, you know what I mean? Like let's let's mm -hmm. when it's appropriate to have some of the synthetics and in, in, um, in your life and and then try to make the, the other choices around that would be the kind of. Mm -hmm. thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you. I think that's really helpful. Could you maybe explain um, for the listeners, the kind of in maybe two sentences, the problem with uh, synthetics and. and oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so right now about 60% of our clothing is made of synthetics or some portion of synthetics, which is incredibly high. Um, synthetics are in their base form, not biodegradable and oftentimes are very hard to recycle. So I'm talking about polyester, nylon, elastane, spandex as baseline. Mm -hmm. Um, so what happens is those clothes, when they, it's it's like a plastic bag, those clothes are like, <laughs> think of a polyester shirt as similar to a plastic bottle or a plastic bag, right? It does not biodegrade in any um, in, in any sort of normal life cycle um, or maybe like hundreds of years, thousands of years, it could be depending on where it ends up. And it also gives off microplastics, which is something that's even worse about textiles is as they get washed, they give mm -hmm. off these tiny microplastics as part of that. And then they seep into the oil. I mean, sorry, seep into the ground, the water systems, and they infect our bodies, animals, plants. Like it's just, it's it's a damage that we're, we don't even know the extent of yet. So just stopping to wear as much synthetics as possible is is really, is one of the priorities um, for us. And so alternative is cellulosics, things like cotton, wool, and various forms of like, like lyocell, um, which is all kind of what we call man-made cellulosic, so things that are pulped and 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 turned into a, you know a version of a fiber. Um, those have some sort of natural path toward biodegradability. Now it can be messed up with things like dyes and treatments and things that also have synthetic toxins. So this is where it becomes complicated, and you know we're trying to weed through it uh, to help people understand, but. Um, that's one of those other layers of transparency that you won't necessarily see on the label. But mm -hmm. if, if a brand does say, I, I was just in a store like this weekend mm -hmm. where someone said, you know, this, this is treated with a dye that does like has no toxin, you know, they actually pointed something out that was like a secondary process, mm -hmm. which, you know, it could seem like on a little bit of greenwashing is like, Oh, well, what about the rest of the product, whatever. But I think 
I do appreciate the idea of trying to actually make some sort of effort to be like, we are thinking about like step one, we are thinking about this, we are acknowledging it and we're bringing it forward. Um, so, so we have to kind of, we have to, you know, reward some level of progress without attacking, like no brand is going to be perfect yet because the options just aren't available. So don't mm -hmm. attack all the other things that are still wrong, but you can, you can make a kind of educated guess. And the other thing is that if something at its like core price is, you know, it's a $5 t-shirt or a $10 hoodie, like somebody is paying for that, uh, like whether it be the earth or a person along the way, like that's not a value system that is in line with what it costs to make that object. So, you know, there are different ways to like, it, not all sustainable fashion has to be super expensive. There are ways to acquire, you know, less items, better ones, you know, sales, vintage use, uh, you know, all these sorts of things. But, you know, if something just inherently sells for a cost that you, you I mean, you just know mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that if it's if it's too good to be true as a bargain, it just is. So, mm -hmm. that, so there's that that kind of piece of it. Yeah. Unless you're okay. something really cool and used. But, um, you know, just from a from a point of view of like the the fast fashion materials have really it's it's an arbitrary um you know when I grew up we barely had fast fashion like it was just starting so this is literally like just like in the last 30 years has this become a thing so it's not it's not sustainable in a long term I mean even economically like we just cannot um continue to produce like this mm -hmm. look yeah. back on this in 50 years and go oh that what a disaster you know like those 30 years of thinking that this was a good idea so mm -hmm. yeah hope hopefully that yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> when it's no longer here <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> great thank you I think that was super helpful um and yeah I'll, I'll include maybe a few also um links to um helpful resources in the in the show notes as well for people who want to read yeah. into this but I think that was I'm, a good probably my info is a little more you know based in New York it's a little more U.S. based and every every city and country has their own systems and that kind of thing but yeah mm -hmm. yeah no but I think also just uh the kind of overall information on synthetics because I feel like oh. um it, I yeah I guess most people kind of know that it's uh, not a good thing that it's uh fossil fuel uh made from fossil fuels but also like one thing that I learned while I was working at Pingaya is that this idea that it sheds microplastics um yeah. every time you wash them I had no idea and I don't think a lot of people realize yeah, that so yeah, yeah, exactly. um, that's definitely yeah the whole idea yes it comes from an oil rig like yeah <laughs> Your polyester shirt comes from an oil rig. That like, yeah. <laughs> it's just as bad as the gas in your car or a coal-fired power plant or all those things that are demonized like crazy. This is in the same category. And actually, mm -hmm. potentially even worse because of the microplastics and also because of mm -hmm. the really, like, I remember at one point, like, I hadn't been in a fast fashion store in quite a while. And then I went in and I was overwhelmed by the smell of off-gassing, which is the polyester, like the tox, literally the toxic frames from production. And it was, it's like, I'd become desensitized to it, but you know, you're in it. And then mm -hmm. I was like, oh and yeah. So just if, if, if something kind of gives you a headache the, through the smell, like listen to your body, <laughs> that's, not, that's not right. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's it sounds like, <laughs> sounds like good advice. Yeah. Thank you. So something else that um, I'm also really interested in, and I know you are too, is gender equality and feminism and how women are still not given enough space in today's world in general, but also I think specifically without uh, within the environmental movement and I guess also even more so within um, science innovation. 
And uh, one of the things uh, that I remember we spoke about um, ages ago was, um, and that I found so inspiring was uh, your experience being one of the, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one of the only women in your class at uh, both Stanford and MIT. Um, and I remember um, that was an incredible story and I was so inspired. So I wonder if you could share that again um, for um, our listeners yeah. and also um, what you took away from this. So your kind of learnings sure. from that experience. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, this is one of those areas also where, you know, there can be a lot of complaining, but I actually think of it as more in the same way to try to shift it around to be like, what is the opportunity and what, what you know, there's a lot of situations that were like irritating and I, I had to reflect on them, but it, but it also comes in to, to kind of also be an, an educational kind of experience for me as a whole. So, you know, that's that's kind of where this area sits, where I, I never want to seem like I, it's like I'm hugely complaining. Right. But I, but I think mm -hmm. explaining it is really important. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I was I was in, um, you know, engineering school at Stanford. I think there was four women in my major uh, of like 35, something like that, uh, which isn't nothing. But, you know, there's mostly male grad students, male professors. This is also late 90s, which is like a kind of almost a whole different time now. But, <laughs> but still, uh, I don't know. It's it's moving like very slowly forward. Um, and then, yeah, in grad school, I was the only woman on a PhD at, at class at the MIT Media Lab. And I think, you know, one of the things that kind of happens is it, it's nothing to me was ever like, there was no outrageous, uh, you know, angry story, which some people do have. And that's that's one thing. But the, it's it's what I think of as death by a thousand tiny paper cuts, mm -hmm. where there's these like small buildups of little things where you don't feel equal. You're And also when you're young, you're not quite sure like what you're navigating. And I, I remember kind of feeling like, oh, I don't think I really fit into Silicon Valley and now I look back on it and, and I was like, I, I was a good engineer. Like, why did I feel like I couldn't work? Not that I couldn't, but I'm like, something is wrong. And you don't, you really know yourself. I left for Europe and I suddenly felt immediately better and more like myself. And, you know, I just think that there, I, I didn't want to be in those kinds of all male work environments and the bro culture and all that. And now I can, now I can recognize it and be like, oh, this is so toxic. Um, but, you know, it's the other side of kind of just, really about perspective and you know the the idea of kind of discussions you'll have and it's even more scary when you start to think about like oh like schools like Stanford and MIT they're supposed to be creating kind of technological leaders of the future that if everybody in the room had, like there's no kind of open inclusivity of someone's perspective and this is what gender culture race age give us right so this this kind of alternative perspectives on the same scenario that make people think and you know one of the things that I I think about is how you know the things that were very obvious to me some things as a woman just I mean my perspective of first of all like even just the idea of working on textiles right I had to kind of fight to be able to do it on my lab like there's a whole back end of fashion and not really being taken seriously as engineering but I'm sorry like people who can pattern make for fashion are the best engineers that I know. Like working with textiles is hard from that perspective and, and kind of getting that. And it was more because there just wasn't anybody around who knew about textiles. I taught so many people how to sew in the MIT machine shop, people who knew how to operate every kind of CNC, you know, computer numerically controlled device there was, right? So, so I think that just opening up a little bit of that perspective um, it also kind of gives you insight the other way where, 
um, you know, thinking about, you know, race and, and um, all different kinds of, of inclusivity issues, right? So how, like, all, we want perspectives, we want global perspectives, we want people from, from, you know, all different situations to be part of the technology discussion in this future from, from the perspective of what should we be making? And I think there, I've worked on so many projects that were kind of opportunities around women being underserved and under addressed as a community, like business opportunities. Like, how do you make, you know, I had crazy story working um, on um, a radically different interior to a high heel where we were like re-architecting the whole thing in a new material, a new polymer and a whole new structural design. And I was literally working with SpaceX engineers in this startup and they had, they knew how to build literally a spaceship and they'd ne they had no idea how high heel was made. And when they finally did look inside, they're like, this is criminal. That like it hadn't been addressed since the 1930s, right? So what an opportunity, right? So I think that that's what um all these kind of perspectives uh can give. And then I think it's it's really about sort of having this like a, what I think of as like the kind of a balance between like, you know, being aware and sticking out for yourself, but also not letting it kind of override your life where I think it, there's a fantastic documentary called picture a scientist. And if anybody wants any perspective on, on this specific area, women in sciences is amazing. Amazing. Uh, it tells different stories of different levels of bias um, inside of the scientific community towards women. And there's an incredible story about, you know, the, this is from the late nineties, the women professors of MIT kind of noticing these elements of bias, but putting their, the tools of their own scientific discipline and knowledge to work to actually document and validate it. Now, this is irritating because this shouldn't be part of your job. Like if you're really busy, right? But the point is that when something is so obvious, you're like, okay, I need to do this. And then they got together and wrote this report. And I mean, there's something so beautiful about using the tools of your own craft to kind of come back in and validate the bias and things changed. And that affected my time at MIT, you know, shortly after that. And so you know, those, th those are kind of, I think that that's one of the things that we also have to remember is that, you know, I, I try to mentor, um, you know, younger people in, in science and women in science and technology now, high school and college. And it's also gives you a perspective of like, what is changing, what isn't changing. Right. And that, you know, some, sometimes I'm like very encouraged other times I'm infuriated. So um, just being, you are part of a longer term conversation and just be part of the part of the positive uh change for the future so yeah kind of mm -hmm. yeah I, I, yeah I love that I think that makes a lot of sense and there's um <laughs> again a lot, it's so much in that um answer that we could <laughs> kind of unpack yeah, yeah, yeah. And go on yeah, I mean I guess never but... underestimate just being like yeah the you're an accidental role model just by kind of trying to live your life <laughs> that's, mm -hmm. that's yeah kind of what it's become, as I've gotten a little older where yeah yeah uh -huh. you can see it you can be it because I I mean I didn't my job didn't exist when I was in college and I didn't know anybody like me. So at least I can, I, I do get people reaching out to me. Oh, now I, you know, I really like fashion and I really love science or physics. And I, you know, I didn't know what I could do. So even if it's very peripheral, just to kind of talk, you know, just, yeah, just talking through that is I think at least one, one direction <laughs> that we can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. And then do you have kind of any other specific advice for people um, and especially women who want to work in, um, yeah, I guess science or material innovation? Yeah. I mean, you know, if you, I think for everybody, and I think this kind of goes across kind of sustainability and climate, like 
not everybody needs to be a scientist, but the point is that if you're interested in it, go for it. Yes, it's going to be hard, <laughs> like past the OCHEM, but you know, you don't have to have a PhD. Like having some level of education in the space is always empowering and some level, like just so when people do talk about chemistry, you can understand a thing or two. And I, I really like to kind of have the perspective that science doesn't need to be, it seems kind of siloed and like we, it is complicated and we need to, we don't want to dumb it down, but there are ways to make it more accessible. And that's really important to have like different like levels of entry and stuff for people to understand. Like it's, it's a, it's a very cultural thing that it's like, Oh, I can't understand science, you know? And I think, I think that's kind of wrong. Um, mm -hmm. But I, you know, I think from the perspective of there's also other ways to get involved in a space to utilize, say you have different skill sets. Like if you're a good writer, like one of the things we desperately need is people who can write about science. It doesn't mean you have to understand everything about it, but you can translate what the scientists are saying, people who can design graphics, you know, I'm just thinking about things from my world, right? Some of the, mm -hmm. the best tools are when we have people who have communication skills around science, because usually the scientists do not have those. It's kind of, <laughs> of what they're doing oftentimes and personality wise. So if we can have, like, if you want to work in the space and you're like, oh, I don't want to be a chemist, uh, like getting involved in, um, you know, I think like even just thinking about like the, the work that we do around branding and in the visuals and, and all of those things that are kind of um, adjacent, I think, you know, we're moving into a world where, like, it's not like, oh, I'm, oh, I work in sustainability. It's like every job is going to have to have an angle of like addressing climate or else we just, we don't have no way forward, right? So every single job mm -hmm. in every sector is going to, you know, you work in finance, you have to be paying attention to what those investments are. You work in this, you know, you're going to have to be, pay you know, so just this idea that a little bit of, of education in the space, it's more kind of about how you're trying to contribute. And luckily there are more and more jobs becoming available in the space. So it's a it's a great time to be kind of getting up to speed on this because you you're if you're young you can be empowered to like be kind of at the beginning of a new era like i was pretty early stage in the internet right <laughs> so you're, you're you know you can be you know 10 steps ahead people that that are 40 because you've taken it on um from from a young age and and, and this is a kind of core of what you're looking at so um yeah, that's it's an exciting time to be in that space if you want to kind of take it as a positive, um, positive outlook. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I, I really love that. And I think it does make a lot of sense. And it really resonates with me because I feel like <laughs> I'm exactly that person you described where I get very excited um, by all those things. But I'm, I'm definitely not a scientist. <laughs> but just like being, you know, working with you and all these other um, amazing um, scientists and, and kind of change makers, I think is really um, inspiring. And I think, I, I guess, as long as you're kind of curious and you want to learn, then uh, it shouldn't be... Um, yeah, there shouldn't be a barrier um, that kind of prevents you from from going into that space if if you um, if you're yeah. driven to. I mean, it. you don't want to overclaim your knowledge. That's kind of the whole point, and be part of the greenwashing issue. But I think that, but you know, if you're working with the right company, company, and you can be a leader, like a young leader, in saying we need to be doing more of this, or you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing, I, I think is what we what we definitely need for the space. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. yeah, and I also love what you said about how it's. It, it's already becoming but it should be and it, it's going to become more and more an aspect of 
whatever job you have because every uh, you know we need everyone to get behind this and and, and tackle the problem together so um, I think that's also a really important point point. Um, and so finally on a more personal note I think the situation uh, where, and that's something I ask <laughs> pretty much everyone but um, I'm, I'm always keen to kind of hear different perspectives on this obviously the situation we're in uh, both the climate and also biodiversity loss crisis and kind of just the overall um, state of the world can be really sad and heavy to deal with so how do you manage to stay positive and where do you find hope yeah um I think I mean first of all just from like a kind of you know lifestyle choice uh, like just the idea that I get up in the morning and get to be working on solutions not being part of the problem is just a huge kind of one one angle of the perspective right that mm -hmm. I think is just a general mindset um of, and scientists are kind of by the by their by their nature you have to be slightly optimistic because it's one of those crazy professions where you're really setting yourself up to fail. And then if you do succeed, you're trying to like, then disprove that again and again, right? So it's this continuous, you you have to be um, very kind of determined and optimistic. Um, so that's, I think, inherently in my nature. Um, I get, I think, you know, people have different roles in this. Sometimes the, the a lot of the, um, you know, well I, well, I like the kind of idea of protest and all of that. I personally find it frustrating because I'd rather be doing something about something rather than shouting about it. But I know mm -hmm. we need all those things. So find your happy place and and where, you know, where you think you can kind of make a difference. And and I think it's okay to, you know, not not go to all the protests or not, you know, like I, I would get frustrated <laughs> with some of some of those things happening. Um and uh, and then I think in general, like obviously being in nature and like all the benefits of that, being you know, um, how, how do you experience it? What is special about it to you? You know that I love the ocean and tropical islands and all that stuff makes it worth it to me to think like I just feel energized to really think about those kinds of ecosystems. Um, I mean, unlike you, like I don't love snow, like. like <laughs> <laughs> I could take it or leave the wind, but I think just finding your own plate, like my get so happy, like going scuba diving and feeling like I'm really connected and, and like being mystified um, by all the things about nature and the kind of general curiosity. So mm -hmm. I think that just helps, like just, it depends on what kind of person you are, but for me, like that, that, and just sort of like a healthy intellectual life um, mm -hmm. helps a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. I love that. And I love what you're saying about uh, finding what works for you because you write that sometimes it can feel like oh and you know either like need to do like that one thing that I feel like is going to help or like I need to do all those things but actually uh you're right that like, you know protests are needed but not everyone uh will you know feel good um doing that and so um yeah. maybe there's something else you can do instead so it's about yeah. kind of finding what makes you feel like you're helping and contributing but also um kind of helps you um stay, stay in a good um mindset yeah. Um, so yeah really love that um, well that was it for me thank you so much uh, I think that was super interesting so thank you for sharing all of that and have a lovely Thanks rest of your day yeah. <laughs> great to be here <laughs> likewise thank you so much see you super soon bye thank you listeners hope you enjoyed the conversation don't forget to share this episode with a few friends or family members if you enjoyed it and follow Amanda on social media to stay up to date with her amazing work thank you so so much in advance and see you next week Thank you for caring and sending you lots of love.